Oh, is it time? Not yet. You know, I can remember the anticipation of the, of the waiting. Uh, it, it was coming. You could feel it. You knew it was coming. You planned for this. You had done the shopping. You had done the packing. You looked forward to the big trip that was uh, ahead, but it just wasn't t- quite time to go yet. You've been there. You've been there. The space that's, that's kind of in between it's between, between here and, and there, between what, what was and, and what will be. He's saying goodbye and saying hello. You, you know, there's, there's something coming. There's a, there's a new season. There's a new job or relationship, a new adventure, a travel experience maybe, a new mission that's on its way, but it's not here yet. Those of us who are students are waiting for the day when we'll be able to get that diploma that certifies that we are capable and trained to get the job that we want to have. Those who are still children living in your parents' home, well, you, you are waiting for that day. It's, it's going to come, and either you're going to leave of your own volition or you're going to get that big out of the house and... Uh, That'll be, that'll be a day, and maybe you'll be a little bit more independent when that day comes. For those who are single, you might be waiting for that day when you're going you're gonna to tie the knot with somebody, or, or you're just going to finally meet that somebody. You don't know who it is, but you're waiting. I waited a long time. Those of us who are, are employees, maybe you're waiting for that promotion or that, that raise or that, that newfound authority that you're going to have. Finally, I'm in that position and I get to make those decisions. Those of you who are young marrieds, maybe you're, you're waiting, wondering, are, are we going to have kids? Is, is it coming? How long is this going to take? More and more young couples these days seem like they're struggling uh, uh, with just getting pregnant. It's a big deal. You're waiting. Those who are parents, you're waiting for the day when your kids are going to grow up. You're waiting for the day when they're going to wipe their own noses and put on their own clothes and take their own baths and, yes, finally get out of this place so we can have our home uh, for ourselves once again. Maybe you're waiting for that. Probably nobody, though. Uh, Those of you who are tired, you're waiting for rest. Those of you who are sick, you're waiting for the all clear, back to normal. (laughs) For those who are back uh, in Europe, they're waiting for war to end. Some of us are waiting for election days so that things change the way we would like them to. Others are, others are waiting for the power to come back on. There's a lot of waiting going on. The people who had spent 40 days with Jesus after he had risen from the dead, they, they had looked on as he was lifted up into the heavens and they were told to Wait. They had had some preparation, yes? We talked about that a little bit last week. Jesus had taught them. Uh, they, he, he instructed them about this idea of the kingdom. They now knew the kingdom was, was not just in the here and, and now, and Israel is going to become this great nation right here and now, but the kingdom begins within them, in their hearts. They were given the promise of supernatural power that was on its way. They were given a clear mission, a clear call, Told it was coming, but it's not here yet. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait. They were told to wait. We're waiting, aren't we? 
I was reminded of this just a little bit ago when we were in the front room talking about the, the Germany team stuff, and I, I was sharing stuff that I wasn't prepared to share and, and realizing I'm, I'm waiting here. After three weeks in, in Europe, flying in to the United States, landing, and seeing other people struggle with homeland security. How, how are they going to get through? Check passports, uh, declarations, all that kind of stuff. And some people being escorted to those special rooms. And you're like, man, I don't want to do that. And then to come up with my daughter and have our passports checked and to hear, welcome home. Oh, we were waiting for that. I didn't even know I was waiting for that. But we're waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for a welcome home. And I think we're... We need it more than we even know. <laughs> We're waiting. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells them, hold on, stay in Jerusalem, wait. And what we want to do this morning is examine an in-between-ish kind of passage. I'll admit, when I first looked at this, I was like, hmm, it's one of those Sundays, it's one of those in-between ones where there's nothing really epic, nothing really significant happening. They're, they're waiting here, and some stuff is going on. And as I dove more into it, I started realizing more and more and more that this is actually very significant. We've been in this book of Acts, and we, we're, we're looking at things, we're having things described to us, right? In, in one way, Acts records the history of, of the early church, its formation and its early days. So we have this history, and so it's descriptive of the things that, that happened. And yet at the same time, for us as believers, recognizing that just as they were in a foreign, now foreign world, we live in that every day. And there are elements of this that we need to find, not just as descriptive, but as prescriptive for us. We need to examine what it was that they were doing. In fact, what it was that was normative for those early Christians and ask ourselves and ask God, really, is this what we should be doing in our time and place as well? Jesus had called them to wait. They were waiting they knew what they were going to be deployed for and into. We're going to go be witnesses to the ends of the earth, but not yet. The question I want to answer this morning is, what should God's people do as they wait on the Lord? Have you ever waited for anything? Of course you have. You're waiting right now. We're waiting for our king to return. What do we do right now? The answer is simply this, I think. God's people prepare themselves to deploy. They prepare themselves for, for the next thing that God calls them to do. Would you look with me at Acts chapter 1, verse 12, and stand with me as we read from God's word this morning. And we'll see what happened as they waited. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Then they returned to Jerusalem. This is after Jesus had been lifted up. And after the angels said, why are you looking up at the sky? Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. 
and Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. We're talking about Judas now. Who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now we have a, a parenthetical statement. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. You didn't expect that today. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So what are the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us? One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And that's it for today. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated Ah, we saw, we, we, we're going to see it again here. Jesus says to wait. To the people of the risen king, they, they prepare to deploy by gathering together for worship. That's one of the main things that we see here in this passage. The disciples, they were waiting, but that doesn't mean that they had their feet propped up on the coffee table. No, they were busy. They, they'd been waiting for that essential piece of equipment that was going to give them the power to be the king's witnesses to the world. Waiting, but that didn't stop them from being the people that God saved them to be. And so what do they do? Well, they, they get to it. And they're gathering together for worship before he left. Uh, Luke records uh, in Luke 24, 49, that Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. It's coming. He goes on. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. We saw that described for us here at the beginning of Acts last week. And then it talks about what the disciples do after that. They worshiped him 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. There it is. We see it. They're waiting. But they're not just hanging out. They're doing something. They're worshiping together. They gather together and they're praising God. They didn't, they didn't just go quietly to their homes after Jesus left and shut the shades and lock the doors. No, they did that before, remember, after Jesus died. Not anymore. Now they're continually together in the temple worshiping. When they weren't there, and when we, and we can assume when they, when they weren't working and doing all the other things that they had to do in life, they were making a point to gather together and pray together. Why? Because this is what God's people do. <laughs> this is what they do. They gathered in an upper room. Now, it must have been a pretty large upper room. It, we read that it wasn't just uh, the disciples, and it wasn't just the women, and it wasn't just Jesus' mom and his brothers. No, there were 120 people-ish there. That's the size of a, of a small to medium-sized church. A lot of people in that upstairs room. Yeah, for, for an upstairs room of a, of a house, yeah. But that's not very many in comparison to the myriads of people that were outside of those walls. That's when you think of their mission, the scope of their mission to the ends of the earth. 120 people? Are you kidding me? What difference can we make? How are, how are we going to get out there and be witnesses to the whole world? And we know the rest of the story. We know that from this small group of 120 here in Jerusalem, maybe some more in, in Galilee. We know it spread. Not only did it, does it spread, it explodes. Friends, I think it's worth noting here. You, you, you just got to say it. God's great work so often begins small. So often begins small. We need to remember that. We need to remember it was just to a single man that God said, I'm going to make you the father of multitudes of nations. It was to a single family that God said, you know what, you're going to build this monstrous boat and I'm going to rescue humanity through this. We need to realize that it was, it was an outcast, speech-impeded shepherd that would lead God's people out of Egypt. And it was through a small group placed on hold here in the city of Jerusalem, that he would bring the message of salvation around the world. You know, I don't know what you think of Bethany Bible Fellowship, this humble church, this little outpost in the kingdom of God here in Westminster, California. I don't know what you think about it. Maybe you think that Bethany is, is it's just a shadow of its former glory. You've been here a long time. You've seen bigger and better days. Maybe you see a church that's, that's somewhat insignificant in comparison to, to other uh, big, big hitter churches out there. In churches in Huntington Beach and over in Cyprus, over in Irvine, down in Lake Forest. Maybe your hope is that one day we'll, we'll actually be, again, large enough to actually make a difference in our community, maybe in our country, maybe even in our world. 
where we write things and we publish things here, and it actually gets national attention. Wouldn't it be nice when we, wouldn't it be nice when we no longer have to wait to grow? <laughs> But we're finally rocking and rolling here. You know, we all want that, right? We're rocking and rolling. Let me remind you of this. You, Bethany, just like those 120 believers, you're the people of the risen king. (laughs) The blood of the risen savior paid for you. Cleanses you welded you together as a people for his own possession. You are not insignificant. If Christ is your king, you have nothing to be ashamed of. He's not ashamed of you. You have nothing to be intimidated by. And every time that you meet together as God's people, you're living out the reality of your calling as a people for his own possession, a chosen race, members of a holy nation. This is a big deal. Let no one look down on Bethany Bible Fellowship, not because of who we are, we're so special, no, because of Christ in us and what he's done here. And let's not neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, as we hear the author of Hebrews tell us. Why? Because this is what God made you for. This is a big piece of it. You are the assembly, the called out ones, the called together ones. That's what the word church, ecclesia, means. We may not be many in number, but we need to remember that together, that's where we encourage one another, isn't it? We need to remember that. We need to... We need to be here together and encourage one another, love each other, show grace to one another, reminding each other of how wonderfully good God has been to us. That happens when we're together here. Together, we build each other up. We share how God's been working in our lives. That happened for me over in the other room earlier. I'm built up, I'm encouraged by hearing the other testimonies, and I'm encouraged as I meet with all of you out there in the courtyard or here after the service. I'm encouraged by seeing how God is working. Sometimes, sometimes, this may come as a shock, sometimes I have dry moments in my life. (laughs) Have you ever experienced that? And you come, and you listen, and you go, wow, God is good. He's so good. I didn't think, it doesn't feel like he's working, but but wow, he's working right there, inside of that person, right there. And together, we we come together and care for each other's needs, like like the believers after Jesus left. Together, that's where we collectively praise the one who has saved us. Together, we can't discount this, together we show a confused and, and antagonistic and watching world that it's better in here. <laughs> Not because we're better. No, because Christ is better in us. They're out there trying to have it all, live the dream. What's it resulting in? All kinds of fighting and striving and heartbreak and addiction and discouragement and enslavement and death and dying. Friends, in here we have the opportunity to show them what it means to be those God-made, image-bearing human beings 
that we were designed to be. All because of Christ in us, in his people. Jesus said in John 13, By this all people will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Do you realize that? Your witness, your call to be witnesses to the nations, to the ends of the earth, it is intimately connected with the love you show each other. And you say, oh, that's a really tall order. <laughs> Just look at that guy over there. I gotta love him. Yeah, it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, on you, and you will be my witnesses. Mm. You want to make a difference in your world. You want to be someone who makes a positive impact, who helps turn things around. I do. You want to be a church that, that not only grows in maturity, but, but grows numerically. Admit it, you, you want to grow numerically, right? It, it would be a wonderful thing if we had more people here at Bethany Bible Fellowship, more volunteers, a bigger ministry possibilities, a bigger, a louder sound volume in this room as we're worshiping God. Oh, that, I'd love that. That would be fantastic. You want to be ready to deploy and get out there and get on with your mission, participate in that great mission that God has called us to. You know what you do? Be the church. You be the church. Be with the church and doing what the church does. Worship and pray and praise and read and, yeah, listen and learn and challenge and give and serve and baptize and, and, and take the Lord's Supper together. I like what uh, Carl Truman wrote in his book, Strange New World. We actually have a few copies. I meant to bring that book up. We have a few copies over at the Welcome Center on the book stand over there. Highly encourage it. Grab this book. He says this. It may sound trite, but a large part of the church's witness to the world is simply being the church in worship. Paul himself comments that when an unbeliever accidentally turns up at a church service, he should be struck by the otherworldly holiness of what is going on. The most powerful witness to the gospel in the is the church herself simply going about the business of worship. These followers of Christ, they were, they were placed on hold, yes, but they weren't just standing still. They, they weren't just waiting for the, the signal, okay, now we'll, we'll get to work. It's like, you know, you're sitting on the couch, you're waiting for that, is it, was it red phone that Batman had? And you're waiting for the phone, and then all of a sudden the signal goes up, and you're like, okay, it's time for me to go. No, they were moving. They were together, even while they were waiting in Jerusalem, giving powerful witness Imagine 120 people in that community kept flocking up to this upper room. What are these people doing up there? Why do we hear singing? Strange things happening over there. They're being witnesses of the incredible work that God had begun inside of them, gathering together faithfully, devotedly, worshiping, praying, doing all of that. And even more than showing the outside world what was going on there, they're actively preparing themselves to deploy. Doesn't that happen when we gather together here? 
the church is built up. You're encouraged as you, as you, as you sing these songs that, that are so closely tied to Scripture and have these, these deep truths in them, reminding them of your hope in Jesus Christ. You hopefully, we're encouraged as we open up God's Word, hear that guy keep talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking, and we're encouraged and we're built up. We're encouraged when we're with our community groups. We're encouraged even when we're serving. We're be, becoming more ready to step out and be deployed and do the work that God actually has commissioned us to do. Are you in one of those in-between seasons in life? You're here but not, not there. You're, you're hopeful that something is coming, but it's out on there on the horizon, but it's just not visible yet. Maybe it's getting out of school. Maybe it's getting that job, getting married. Whatever, whatever we mentioned earlier, it could be, could be anything. Getting past this, getting through this, moving on with this incredibly difficult season in your life. Know that now is the time to prepare yourself by devoting yourself to regular worship with God's people. And boy, does this feel like I'm preaching to the choir right now. Show the world that you're among the people who've been called out of darkness and brought into the marvelous light. Show them that not only do you belong to the, uh, do you belong to the eternal kingdom, but uh, it's so much better in here. It's good. Seize the day. Seize the opportunity to fortify yourself, prepare yourself for the next thing that God calls you to do. This is what God's people do as they wait. Secondly, people of the risen king, they prepare to deploy by looking to Scripture to make sense of their world. After Jesus ascended into heaven, imagine the questions that would have been there in the minds of people. Where, where'd he go? Is he really gone? He went into that cloud, and now he's gone. Is he coming back? Imagine. And I'm sure there were some really big topics of discussion that came up. Can you believe that Judas guy? Man, had him figured wrong. I, it, well, you know, some of us had some suspicions about him. We thought he was kind of pilfering from, from uh, the, the, the treasury, but he, I didn't expect this. Why did he do that? How could anyone do that? Well, if he did that to Jesus, maybe there's others here. Maybe they're going to do that to me. How could God let this happen? Was this really all part of God's plan? And someone must have been over there in the corner and said, you know, something's not really adding up to me. See, I've been recording everything that Jesus said. And back in Matthew 19, 28, and actually they didn't have the verse numbers back there, but Jesus told us, he said, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel." Guys, this doesn't make any sense to me because if my calculations are correct, and I think they are, there's only 11 now. How does that work? How does that add up? This is probably the point where Peter stands up and opens his mouth. Look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share 
in this ministry. Notice something very important here that you could very easily miss. Peter doesn't say, uh, hold on, I heard that guy over in the corner there uh, asking that question about the discrepancies here, and, and you guys, are there's some grumbling going on about this guy Judas. Yes, yes, yes. Well, let me tell you, you know, I, I, think, I think this is what's going on. He doesn't do that, does he? I think this is how it went down. No, no, no. Peter responds with authority, doesn't he? He he responds as someone who knows the scriptures. Remember we talked about Apollos a few weeks ago? Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. Well, there's evidence that Peter had some might in himself right here. He knows the scriptures. He's able to use the scriptures to show them from the scriptures how this makes sense. Yes, even this, the most catastrophic, horrific event that took place. This guy, Judas, one of Jesus' own, how could he turn on him? How, how does this make sense? He turns right to the scriptures, doesn't he? Now, it's likely that the, the man that Luke was writing this account to was uh, probably not with these disciples that were here in Jerusalem and was probably somewhat out of the loop. And this is, uh, this is probably validating the, the theory that, that he was a Roman official, Theophilus, uh, probably a Roman official, most excellent Theophilus. It's nice for us as well that Luke gives us this parenthetical statement here because it gives light as to what? happened to this Judas guy. It, it's a loose sentence that needs to be tied up. And that's where we have verse 18. And Luke's describing, giving us the context here. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, falling headlong, and so on and so forth. You have the gruesome tale. It's gruesome. Probably actually not that gruesome compared to what's on TV these days, uh, but gruesome nonetheless. A gruesome death fitting for a man who is plagued with the guilt of having betrayed the perfect son of God. Some people here, this is just kind of bookkeeping stuff, but it's, it's rather important, I think. Some people like to point out that there are a couple apparent discrepancies here between what Luke records and what's found in other places in Scripture. One involves the money and the purchasing of this field. There may be one of you out there who's just like, ah, this is, this is bothering me. What's going on here? Luke tells us that Judas took the money and he acquired a field uh, with the reward for his wickedness, those pieces of silver. Matthew 27, 3, 8 tells us that Judas returned the money to the, Jew, the Jewish authorities who then didn't want to hold on to it because this is, this is, after all, this is blood money. We can't hold on. We can't keep this money. So what do they do? They go out and purchase this field. They get rid of the money that way. And so you have an indirect purchase of the field. The other issue involves the manner of Judas' death. And Matthew says that, that he went out and he hung himself. Well, Luke says that he fell headlong. And all I'll say there is, is the two are not, uh, not um, what's the word? They, they, they can work together. They can absolutely work together. Suicides, as we know, don't often go according to plan. And it's entirely possible he tied a bad knot, tree branch broke, maybe he was on the side of a hill already, fell down. All, it, you, you can work it out. These, these are the kind of things that so many people get so hung up on when, when, they look, when they're looking at Scripture that it totally distracts them from what we're supposed to be paying attention to. So we'll just leave it at that right now. 
But I think some of them were looking back and saying, what, what, what really happened here? We're, we're trying to figure it out. And I think it's important for us to figure out uh, what's going on here as well. We said Peter takes them to Scripture. Look at verse 20. It is written in the book of Psalms. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. That's from Psalm 69, 25. And Peter's reminding them something very, very important here. As he takes them back to Scripture, and as, and as you and I take people back to Scripture in very, very confusing times, he's reminding them that though things seem like they're just spinning out of control, imagine these people who invested their entire lives in Jesus. He's, he's, he's gone by one of his own. Even though things seem like they're spinning out of control, you see God is at work. There's evidence right here. I'm pointing back to it in Scripture, Peter's basically saying. These aren't random acts. The unfolding of history, even as we experience it right now, not random acts. God was sovereignly working back then. He's sovereignly working today. And these were terrible things. This, this, we don't, I don't even like to read this account of Judas here and think back on the horror of what he uh, brought in, in the midst of, of these people of God here. And yet, even as this happened, prophecy was being fulfilled. Not only did Scripture shed light on what happened, it, it gave them direction for what they were supposed to do next. He, he quotes Psalm 109.8. He says, let another take his office. And that's when that 12 thrones question guy who was over there in the corner, or a hypothetical guy, probably went, oh, uh, yes, right. You see, there's only 11 right now, and we need 12. Uh, and he probably went, oh, let another take his office. Jesus, Jesus wasn't wrong when he said that. He was actually right. Man, he's always right, isn't he? Yeah, he's always right. Scripture tells us we can trust him. Scripture tells people of the risen king that even if their lives seem like they are falling apart, God has got this. We had that written up in our academy halls during the COVID season, and I would walk around and I'd see that. And I'd say, I, yeah, I know he does. It sure doesn't feel like it. But he does. He's got this. With all the information we have these days, it's so easy to start going other places in it. We're searching the news. We're searching the internet. We're searching the blogs, the, the podcasts, the vodcasts. We're trying to make sense of our world. But what we need to do first and foremost is go to God's word. That's what Peter does. When we're confused, when we're frustrated, when we're afraid. We, yeah, you can admit you're afraid. When we're stuck in that holding pattern. I don't like to be in those in-between times, but I've been in them many times. Stuck in the holding pattern, waiting for an answer, for relief, for a change. When we're not sure what the next move is. Or if we're going to have to face this or we're going to have to face this. God's word is where the king's people need to turn. We've got to do that. Psalmist wrote, your word is a lamp to my feet, light to my path. 
I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Some of you can relate. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. People of the risen king, they prepared to deploy by gathering together for worship, by looking to scripture to make sense of the world, a third and, and final for this morning. And that is organizing for action. I like this one. Organizing for action. We're getting ready to head to Germany. It's a month or so out. We're having meetings, so many meetings. They were good, but there were a lot of meetings, and we're talking through language stuff and talking through culture stuff and talking, preparing what we were going to do and, and being reminded, you know, even though you prepare, it may all be scrapped and you may have to do something completely else. So be flexible, but prepare. We were preparing. We were packing, doing all these different things, making sure that when, when go time came, we were ready to actually go. We had to make the preparations. And the same is true for followers of Jesus as they waited for that signal, for that deployment out into the world. Yes, they're in a holding pattern, but waiting did not mean wasting. Didn't mean wasting. They were not idle. They weren't sitting there with their hands held back just saying, well, I guess we'll just sit here and we'll just wait. No, they knew knew. 12 thrones, 12 thrones. There's only 11. There needs to be 12 apostles. But Judas out of the picture, they're one short. And so they went about the process of setting things right. If Psalm 109.8 said that another needed to take that office, then they were going to move forward and they were going to see to it. What can we do right now in this holding pattern? Okay, well, we can see there are some things that need to be done. Okay, let's do those things. Organize for action. Peter says in verse 21, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. This role was tremendously important. Certain, certain qualifications had to be met. It couldn't just be anyone. And so they laid out the requirements for it. You had to be with Jesus all the time. Even after he ascended, were you there with him, hanging out for 40 days? But even then, they knew that just meeting the qualifications wasn't enough. They needed more than that. They knew they needed God's direction as well. And so they narrowed it down to two men. Verse 24 says, They prayed and said, O Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you've chosen to take the place in this ministry. And the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. Now, some people will zero in on that lot thing, and they'll get hung up there as well. Before the Spirit of God came with power, uh, the casting of lots, almost like a, a dice kind of thing, uh, that was standard procedure for determining God's will throughout the Old Testament, and all the way up until this New Testament time here in the book of Acts. But we need to recognize, it's worth noting, this would be the last recorded time. We, we don't do this anymore, because we have the Spirit of God in us now, directing us, 
moving us, prodding us, pulling us, showing us where we need to go, making things clear for us. And so we don't look to any holy dice here. We look to this, God's word and we look to his spirit. These followers of Jesus were organizing themselves for action. They were preparing themselves for the work that was just around the corner. Are you preparing yourself for what God has for you? Back in my youth ministry days, this was this is what we went to over and over and over again because we live in a culture, in a society where kids be kids. You guys just enjoy your time and go hang out and do sports and do these games and do whatever it is that you do. Boba, <laughs> never understood that one. We need to make use of the time to prepare ourselves for action. That's true for junior high and high school students. That's true when you're, when you're out of college, when you're nearing retirement. It's true for all of us who are in a period of in-between, waiting for the next thing that God has for us. Maybe it'll just be God saying, I'm calling you home. But you know what? The in-between times matter. And we need to be equipping ourselves even in those moments. I don't know what that exactly looks like for you. How do you organize? How do you equip yourself to be the witness that God has called you to be? It could look like taking a class. Maybe, maybe not. It could look like memorizing key verses of Scripture so you're ready to give an answer for that hope that you have and be able to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ by just cracking open the book, which is the best way, actually, and saying, hey, read this, read this, read this, read this. What conclusions do you come to? It could be preparing yourself to know those verses. It could look like arranging your schedule so that you have more time to spend with people having good conversations and prayerfully directing them to Jesus. Maybe it means clearing your work schedule and saying, you know, I need to spend more time with my family because the first ministry that I have and the best discipleship opportunity that I have been handed is my children. My daughter came to me uh, last week and said, you know, Dad, why, why, why would uh, you know, someone who gets married, why, they look around at the world, and why would they want to bring more children into this world? It's just, it's just the, more I, the more I see, the more bad it, it looks. And I said, because this is one of the, the incredible gifts that God gives his people is that they are able to have children and then directly pour into the disciple them show them jesus as those children for 18 or so maybe a little plus years are with them all the time they get to not only speak truth into them through god's word they get to live it out in the home too and yes that's a very tall order but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you are you preparing yourself to, and equipping yourself for the work that God has called you to? It could, it could be uh, looking like uh, being more involved in your church family and saying, you know what, there's needs here, I can tell. You guys, you people need a lot. Uh, so I'm here, what can I do? How can I help? It could mean getting up earlier in the morning and spending more time with Jesus, having a concrete time in your day. Uh, Jesse talked about that, that up at the men's retreat, and even more than that, like getting noise-canceling headphones, finding a very quiet place so you can just spend quiet moments with Jesus so that you are built up and equipped, ready to do the work that God's called you to do. It could mean being more disciplined with your entertainment choices. The things we keep putting in our brains, they have an effect, don't they? 
and it wears on me. And I have to be, I have to be more discerning these days than ever before because the stuff out there is more contaminating than it has been in, in certainly recent days in my lifetime. We've got to be discerning, cutting it out, maybe replacing it with other stuff so we are prepared and equipped, ready to be used by God with whatever is over that horizon. Those in-between times, they're, they're opportunities to organize for action, aren't they? We prepare ourselves by taking advantage of them, or, or, or are you taking advantage of them? I guess that's the question for all of us in this room and online right now. See, with God's Spirit living inside believers, they have, they have at their disposal the one that can give them the direction and to know God's will even while they're waiting. We, we have that. And we need to encourage each other to make good use of the in-between times that we find ourselves in. You probably, as you talk together today, you're probably going to hear so-and-so's in an in-between time. So-and-so just found out that they have some type of a, a horrific situation that they're going through. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or loss of a friend or maybe it's a diagnosis or a job, a job loss. Whatever it may be, in-between times, you guys have the opportunities to share with each other and to point each other, let's make good use of this time. Remember, we need to prepare ourselves to deploy by being together in worship. This, this, this actually matters what's happening right here. By looking to God's word to make sense of our world and by actively equipping ourselves. This is really essentially what Bethany has been doing. I've been thinking about this this past week as I come up on five years here at Bethany. Um, in some ways, we've been waiting. We've been waiting. Five years ago, a beloved pastor announced that he was leaving. Big deal. 30 plus years of being here, serving faithfully, loving people here. That's a big deal. What does God have for us next? Then a new guy showed up on May, in May 1st, 2018, <laughs> and we waited. A lot of people showed up. This place was packed. Who's that monkey in the pulpit? Let's see what he's going to do. <laughs> Bethany, a place I want to go? No, I think I'll go over here. When we found ourselves in the moment of financial crisis not long after that, we were trying to figure out what was going on, desperate, waiting, sought the Lord. He provided in less than a week's time before we even let people know that there was a need. <laughs> that was amazing. COVID-19 hits. We waited, we watched, we reassessed. We said, we got to meet back together as a church. And so we faithfully continue to meet with God's people. We looked forward to, to, to God's word, reaffirming uh, core purposes in our church. What, what are we here for? What are we about? Well, we're here for God's glory. We're here for the good of his people. We're here to share the hope and to speak the truth and to serve the king of kings and and. and this is what we've been doing all along. We're just spelling it out a little bit more clearly. We're here to make disciples, so let's make disciples, church. We took a hard look at our organization. We examined our constitution. We retooled to embrace a more biblical uh, model, including uh, having elders here. We began a ministry to bring people closer together and encourage one another as they do life together. And we called that community groups, and that is happening. We... we we had some hard stuff, too. We said goodbye to some staff. 
I had some of the most heartbreaking moments that I've experienced in my time in ministry. That's about 27 years or so now. Heartbreaking. And we said hello to some new staff, and that's been wonderful. Our leadership team, they're continually coming together. It happened again this morning. And they're seeking the Lord together, praying together, laboring in prayer. Our people are doing the same thing, continually coming together. We want to be vessels fit for your use, Lord. Ever striving. We want to be ever striving in our corporate worship. What we do here in this room Making sure that what we do here, it it puts on display the glory of God and his magnificence. When people look in here, when they visit here, we want them to see something different. We want them to go scratching their heads going, something strange going on here. What are these weirdos doing? And we wait, and we wait, and we wait for what God has next. Our desire is not to be a megachurch. But we know that if Christ is continually transforming us into his image and we're obedient to his call to be those witnesses, our numbers are going to increase. Polish is not the number one goal here. And yet we know that if we continue to use our time and resources for the glory of God and the good of his people, then everything we should do should reflect his glory and his good order and the brilliance of of this God we serve. And so we'll expect things to look a little nicer. Impressive knowledge, that's that's not our end here. But if we're people who love God's word, that's exactly what we're gonna have. Attention is not what we seek, and yet we're well aware that as the days grow darker and we seek to grow more in gleaming righteousness of Jesus Christ, well, our, our lives are going to stand out. It's just going to happen. But that's Bethany. What about you? What about me? We're waiting. We're all waiting for different things. In what way does God have you in the in-between moment right now for his glory? Remember that just because you're waiting does not mean that God is not working. As you wait on the Lord, how are you preparing yourself for the work he's called you to do? People of the risen king, they prepare themselves to deploy by devoting themselves. Yes, devoting themselves to gathering together in worship. They prepare themselves as they look to scripture to make sense of their world. Not just the news. And as we organize ourselves for action.